0: Country Life on Midlands 103, brought to you by W Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore, supplier of New Holland tractors in the Midlands. W
1: Good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me and a definite touch of summer in the air since I spoke to you last week. Some really nice mildness and that heat is certainly needed for breeding, which is well underway on farms across the Midlands. Of course, with the coming of the month of May is the ancient Celtic celebration of Beltane which was hugely important to our farming ancestors. It's marked with the turning out of cattle to pasture and rituals to protect crops and encourage growth. So not much has changed and growth is the order of the day this month. May really does predict the rest of the year. So fingers crossed for lots of moisture over the coming weeks. Now, this evening's programme and ICOS, the Irish Cooperative Society, has marked the opening of its Brussels office 50 years ago. Both it and the IFA set up a base in Brussels, and that was just a year after Ireland joined the EU in 1972. Serious change has occurred in our economy in those 50 years, obviously enough. Back then, farming accounted for 25% of the total workforce and today it's just 4%. ICOS insists that Europe has a vital role in assisting the farmers of today and Damien O'Reilly from ICOS will join me later to chat on that. You'll know Damien from presenting Countrywide on RT Radio 1 for many years, a position he recently left to pursue the role in ICOS. I look forward to chatting to Damien in a little bit. The IFA are up in arms about the ongoing delay to appoint a food regulator. We're waiting and waiting and still no further on. This is something that Minister McConlogue has promised and also that this office will have some real power. With more on this, Niall McCormack from the IFA will join me a little later on the programme. He is a soft fruit, fruit I should say, producer and strawberries are one of the main areas of Niall's business. We will also discuss the ongoing issue of peat, how the horticulture uh, area are handling it at the moment, and how a range of factors could lead to vegetable shortages on shelves next month. Uh, really, that growing May is what the horticulturists are looking for as well, no more than the rest of us. Rev for Trev is a tractor run taking place in Mount Wrath on Saturday week, the 14th of May, and it's all about spreading the message of mental health and being aware of it in all sectors of society. Trevor Wallace from Mount Wrath in County Leash was lost to suicide two years ago, and his friends and colleagues have come together to set up this fundraiser. Arthur Harvey is one of the organisers and he'll join me later to chat about it. Uh, Trevor, made the Lord have mercy on him, was a Fiat enthusiast and a particular call is being made to Fiat tractor owners around the Midlands to attend this run. Now, as always, please text the show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 083 3010 103. i will be happy to put anything to our guests here this evening. And to start the programme... Uh, on this the 3rd of May we're on the topic of local produce and a local restaurant which is just being set up and it's just about to be open we have Sam Moody the chef and the man behind the new eatery in Abbey Leaks called Bramley's and he joins me now Sam, many thanks for taking my call this evening
2: Thank you very much for having me
1: uh, you're more than welcome, Sam. Look, we're going to talk about your your new business, which has a focus on local produce, leash produce, and produce from around the area, in just a moment. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your own background, uh, please, Sam. Just by your introduction there, uh, I'm I know, and I'd say our listeners realise that that's not a leash accent in the background. Where are you from, Sam?
2: I, I so I grew up in the uh, in the south of south of England, at the end of the runway near Gatwick Airport.
1: And what brought you over to uh, County Leash?
2: Well, I, I came over for a job at Ballyfin uh, about seven years ago. I, I took over the, the running of the kitchen at Ballyfin, and um, I've, I've never looked back. I've, I've just completely fallen in love with the place.
1: And your, your career uh, working in Ballyfin, obviously known to be one of the most high-spec hotels in the country. Uh, obviously, everything had to be just perfect. Uh, nothing can go wrong. High-pressure environment?
2: Uh, I guess so but I mean I I really enjoy it I mean I I, I really enjoy cooking so uh, and I really enjoy getting the best out of ingredients so uh, high pressure yes but enjoyable
1: And what has sparked you then to go out on your own Sam and to set up your own business it's a brave brave move especially in hospitality
2: Uh, Of course um, I've always wanted to run my own restaurant I I, I love restaurants I love everything about them and, and running my own was always a natural progression I've been looking for my own restaurant for many many years, and Ballyfin was always a stepping stone uh, to enable me to do that. Um, I had never banked on opening a restaurant in in rural Ireland, um, but you know, from from day one, I I uh, arriving here and I, when I drove through Abbey Leaks, so I knew it was a very special place. And I've always had an, half an eye on on uh, on restaurants becoming available there. And so when 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 Bramley popped up, it, it, we just had to go for it.
1: Yeah very good and your focus is going to be on locally sourced produce and uh, this is the angle I suppose which is very interesting coming from uh, the uh, the farming aspect you're going to be trying to source as much as you can from the locality uh, I've been to England a couple of times over in the Cotswolds this is something that's done regularly in that part of the world you often go into a place and you'd see that our produce comes from a 10 mile radius or a 20 mile radius it's not done so much here in Ireland and I suppose you're maybe bringing that tradition uh, across the water a little bit where exactly you're going to go for your produce and can you give us the names of some of the local producers you're going to use please sam
2: yeah of course um i mean it's not really something i'm not i'm not doing it uh, as a as a theme it's not like part of my remit um we're just really lucky that if you if you pay attention to who's around you um there there there, there, there are some fantastic exceptional producers um just around us in in lease uh we'll be working with uh, Mick Keegan in, in Mount Rath, he's been my butcher, he was my butcher at Ballythin for many many years, um, and his his lamb is as good as you will get anywhere in the world. Um, I'll be working with Brendan at Fearbhia Farm, using his wonderful pork that's been reared in the woodlands, um, very much like it would have been done two hundred years ago, back back to how farming once was, really low impact, um, and where the, the pigs have to forage a lot of their own food. I'll be working with the, uh, the Red Shed out in Port Arlington, Gary Hinch Mushrooms out in Port Arlington, uh, and then Brown's um, uh, veg supplier in, based in Port leash, who, who, who brings together loads of different um, producers. Um, and, and these are people I've worked with before and for a very long time.
1: Yeah, excellent stuff, Sam. And can you give us an idea, a flavour of, of the menu then in Bramley's? You're probably putting it together at the moment, you're working on different ideas, obviously going to be seasonally based as well, but in general, what's your, your, your flair for?
2: Uh, so, so, in, interest, so like working with someone like Brendan, small scale farmer, I think it's really important that as me as the end customer has an understanding of how uh, he, he, so he's rearing a pig. I I I don't have, Uh, you don't have as much prime cut as you do say secondary cut so we're going to try and spread the whole carcass across across the menu so we'll be making uh, a a very simple but very tasty sausage roll for the lunch menu using the shoulders of the the woodland pork and then at dinner we'll be using some of the belly and the loins uh, to to do a little duo of pork Uh, and and then the garnishes will change as the season's seasons go uh, and it's, it's a tricky time of year to, for vegetables because we're you know as you, as you know we're right banging the hungry gap and mm. so it will just be about working with 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 my suppliers and finding out what they have to uh to put on the menu i i don't have a food style i just let the the, the growers dictate what i put on the menu
1: so you don't have a, a signature dish sam it just depends on the season is that correct it,
2: it, it uh, what might my, my, it depends on the season and what what is what produce is at its absolute best at that moment.
1: And having worked with, uh, look, the best produce you can, you can get your hands on in Ballyfin, there's no question about it because that's what the customers would want or the clients would want. Um, Irish produce, obviously you're setting up the restaurant in Leash, but we talk about the excellent produce that Irish farmers produce. You're there, you're at the the cornerstone of it, at the cooking block of it. Just h- how good produce do we have here in this country?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the, la- the honestly, the lamb that I use here, it is the best like there there. i've never had lamb anywhere that like it it's just and but consistently the best and i think that's the you know it is it, it, you you go from exceptionally good to uh you know double exceptionally good and that's your variant with with those sort of project that that sort of product um i think what and and then the same with with the with the with the local beef and um and, and, uh, and then that extended light just means that, you know, the, sw- the sweeter peas and, and just exceptional broad beans and, and the, but the volume of them you get um, as well.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So, so Sam, look, we'll leave it at that. Just before you go, can you tell us when you're opening the doors of Bramley's and what exactly are you doing? Lunch, dinner, what days a week are you open? Let us know, please.
2: Yeah, of course. So we open uh, next Friday. So that's Friday the 12th. Uh, we are open for dinner on Friday and Saturday of next week. Uh, they are both now fully booked um good. but we have a, a wait list for cancellations then then the the week after we will be open for lunch thursday to saturday and we'll be open for dinner uh wednesday to saturday
1: very good well listen uh sam we wish you all the best uh you're going to be using local produce you're going to be helping local producers that's what we're all about here in the programme and at no doubt you're going to go from strength to strength it's Bramley's and Abbey Leaks and all the best with it Sam and no doubt we'll speak to you again on the programme at some stage Wonderful thank you very much for having me on More than welcome and as I said Sam Moody there head chef and man behind Bramley's restaurant in Abbey Leaks and that is opening next week and uh, it's going to be an interesting one using all that local produce. That's uh, Brendan from Fear Via. We had Brendan on back about a month, five weeks ago, where he's producing that woodland pork just outside Leash in a in a forest. And he's one of the main producers. And uh, that's really what we need to support, local produce in a local business like that. Now, we're going to go to a break. But just before I go to a break, I must say I was listening to the awfully loud match here on the program. i intended to come up to it back on Sunday but circumstances didn't allow and I listened to uh, Brian Gavin and Laz Malloy were commenting on it here over the course of it and its extra time and I have to say fantastic job the lads did on the commentary really brought us into the game I logged on to the GAA Go website or the app to see how much it was and it was 16 99 to watch one standalone game which I thought was absolutely crazy money uh, so listen to it here on Midlands 103 fantastic commentary and we were so so close but we just missed out In normal time and then look it got away from us in extra time but a great run in the championship and on to the Talton Cup where we have uh, a few upcoming matches and one uh, a local derby with our neighbours Leash so Offaly Leash taking place in a couple of weeks time so that's going to be a ding dong battle Uh, we also have London and then a big one against Cavan and I mentioned to the uh, Offaly under 20 hurlers as well versus Galway. Uh, last weekend on Saturday a fantastic victory and coming up uh, a game against Dublin next week that was a huge huge win and hopefully we can crack on in that competition also uh, super super win now coming up after the break I'm going to be talking to Damien O'Reilly former Presenter of the farming programme on RT Radio 1 Countrywide. Uh, he now works with ICOS and they're celebrating 50 years in Brussels. So stay tuned for that.
0: Country Life on Midlands 103, brought to you by W. Orshah Burlington Business Park Tillamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands, worshaw.ie
1: And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to ICOS and we have Damien O'Reilly on the line. I'm going to say, Damien, many thanks for taking my call this evening.
0: Good evening, MJ, from Brussels. Uh,
1: yeah, thanks a million, Damien, for uh, for speaking to us. We're going to talk about ICOS in a moment and its presence in Europe for the last 50 years. But first, our listeners will know you well from your previous incarnation, the presenter of the farming programme on RT Radio 1 for many, many years. So I'm just going to start with that for a moment. How long were you in the hot seat for uh, Countrywide, Damien?
0: Oh my God, um, MJ, I was there. I actually started 25 years ago this month in RT... So I almost made the quarter of a century not quite but uh yeah I went back quite young needless to say <laughs> 25 years ago and I've worked uh in in local radio in in um, one of your your um sister stations or or other uh, station local station not far away from you there Shannon side yeah, I spent 5 years there and then went to RT in 1998 and look it had an absolute ball Every young broadcaster's dream is obviously to get to, you know, the state broadcaster and to a big organization like that. And um, I had wonderful opportunities there. I presented so many different programs, Liveline, uh, filled in Claire Byrne and Sean O'Rourke. Uh, was at three Olympic Games with, with RTE, would have done a lot of sports as well. But uh, as you say, probably some of your listeners might remember me from uh, Saturday mornings and Countrywide, similar enough name to your own program. Um, which came on the air in 2008. But over, you know, the period maybe of 50 years, there have been farming programs similar to your one there on RTE, which would have changed name, metamorphosized, changed style, and so on. So Countrywide was the latest reincarnation. And, you know, I'm very proud that it's a a program um, that you know, attracted a wide listenership beyond the farm gate. And that was key um, because, you know, in the modern world, there's so many people who probably don't know an awful lot about where their food comes from or how it's produced because we're moving another generation away from the land. And uh, I think it's important that, you know, we have programs like yours and like Countrywide to keep uh, the contact between uh, the food producer and uh, the consumer uh, as well because as I said uh, there are fewer farmers and fewer people have the opportunity to actually go to a farm and understand what, what actually goes on there so as I said you know countrywide uh, still in going strong with Philip Boucher Hayes but I'm very proud when I when I tune in you know I picked the fig tune myself and I picked that aim of the programme. So there's a little bit of a legacy that still lives on. And when RTE hear this, they might might change it.
1: (laughs) No, absolutely. And Damien, look, at the helm of it for so long and being immersed in agriculture as you were full time for all those years, look, lots of big changes over the course of the last number of years. But was there any one particular thing that kind of sticks in your mind a little bit where you went, right, this is actually, this is a big, big thing, like big changes are happening or uh, some sort of a, a, a moment where you said to yourself, Wow, things have metamorphosized here in the landscape, the rural landscape of Ireland.
0: Um, that's a very good question. You know, I, I could possibly answer that we are now in that seismic change with climate change mm-hmm. and with, um, you know, the role that farmers and food producers will have to play not only in Ireland but across Europe and indeed around the world in, in, in trying to mitigate against uh, global warming, and climate change and We're going to have to decarbonize and farmers are at the, you know, they're on the front line in that regard. And I would say, MJ, uh, you know, and even from my short time here in Brussels, I'm looking at, you know, reams of uh, legislation coming down the road and lots of challenges uh, facing food producers and farmers in terms of maybe changing and tweaking the way they operate to try and and help mankind. And so we're probably in the midst midst of that now and i would say young farmers in particular probably are facing you know the biggest challenge over the next 5 10 maybe 20 or 30 years uh than any other generation probably going back you know 100 years or so um and certainly before we joined uh, the, the european union or the ec so your question is timely in that regard there are, you know under the eu green deal which is um uh, Miss van der Leyen, it was a big project in this commissionership to try and get all of society and, and all professions, not just agriculture, to try and, um, I suppose, uh, it, 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 says, it does what it says and it's in, it's a green deal. So that we, we, we shake on it with the European Commission as consumers, as farmers, and business people, that we are all committed together to changing uh, the way we operate to be more sustainable. And within the Green Deal, there is a section called Farm to Fork. And there are the list of challenges that uh, you probably talked about on your program uh, that face agriculture and farmers, not only, of course, in, in Offaly and Leash and in Ireland, but right across uh, the European Union. So, yeah, we're, 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 we really are in challenging times. Um, but look, at I think Irish farmers in particular are up for the fight. It's not going to be easy, but they've proved it in the past that, you know, There have been tough policy changes over the years, and farmers have always uh, stood up and and kind of complied in in that regard, and they will again.
1: Yeah, no, as you say, it is interesting. Look, you've you've seen a lot. You've been at the forefront of it, and uh, to to, to pick this as the time is an interesting one. I wouldn't disagree with you, to be honest. Uh, We are in really, really challenging times just in relation to it all. The way policy is changing, the goalposts are changing on farmers so quickly. Uh, even the banding with dairy cows—it happened over the course of a few months. Before people knew it, they had to cut. They will have to cut numbers. They'll have to lease more land. They'll have to really change their business around to to keep farming in the same vein as they were. Uh, in your current position, Damien, uh, you're uh, EU Affairs and Communications Manager for ICAS. So, what, what exactly are you doing? What's your what's your day job now?
0: Yeah, it's a big change, uh, no doubt about it. And the opportunity arose uh, last year for uh, me to to come out here not something I would have been able to do uh, a few years ago because I had young children they're older and they're not too worried not seeing their dad as often <laughs> as they would and soon they'd be flying the nest anyway um, and I suppose you know I'm always a person that enjoys a challenge and I felt that you know I had, had taken my, my uh, radio career as far as I could and I wanted to, to leave that on good terms and at a time when I was still enjoying it, if you know what I mean. Mm. And the opportunity arose to come to Brussels, um, which is a city, believe it or not, but I absolutely adore. I love this city. I've been coming here reporting and involved in in other journalism projects for over 20 years, and I've always enjoyed Brussels and uh, have friends here. So when the opportunity arose to fill the vacancy uh, last year for ICOS here, um, I jumped at it and applied for the job and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to actually uh, uh, be now here following the footsteps of many great people uh, that have held this office for the last five decades because, of course, the main reason I'm talking to you now is that last week we celebrated 50 years uh, in Brussels because we opened this office here uh, back in 1973 when Ireland joined uh, the EEC. And it really what a wise move it was because you could imagine back then the idea of Irish farmers suddenly being exposed to the single market we were basically uh, tied at, at the hip or joined at the hip with the UK that's where we did all our trade and um, now we suddenly were uh, going into Europe and um, but with that came obviously a lot of rules and regulations and policy and legislation from Brussels no longer were we looking to Dublin we were now looking to Brussels to guide us on how we actually farm and produce food so Back then, I mean, it's 800 miles or 800 kilometers from, from Brussels to Tullamore or Port Leash uh, as the crow flies, but it might as well have been 8,000 miles back uh, in 73 when you think about the you know the, the, the primitive communications that would have existed then, uh, the lack of, of, of um suppose affordable flights and so on. So it was great to actually have an office here. The ISA also opened an office in 73, and it meant that, you know, we had, I suppose, a bird's eye view of the policies that were being cooked up in the commission here. And it works both ways in terms of feeding back information to, you know, the farmers and cooperatives in Ireland about what potentially is being proposed and how we should actually respond to it and how it might affect how we do our job. But also a lot of people seem to think that, you know, lobby organizations or farm organizations or other business organizations in a place like Brussels or in Washington DC that they're you know they're they're stamping their feet and 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 refusing to change it's nothing like that whatsoever we actually have to help feed in to the policy legislation that the commission will be cooking up and then it's voted upon by uh, the MEPs and then agreed upon uh, by the heads of government essentially. So there's a, a process involved and it's a very democratic process when it comes to the EU Commission um, implementing um, new directives or, or devising new directives which eventually become uh, regulations. So suppose sort of my role here is uh, working in um, the Kajika building. Copacajica are the umbrella body for farm co-ops and farm uh, organizations right across Europe. I share a floor with uh, Swedish cooperative and french cooperative representatives, so we we help each other as well. We compare notes and we are able to i suppose share the concerns uh, that our members might have at home uh, about legislation that's being proposed and why it would just not work. It's never a case of pushing back against legislation. It's a case of trying to tweak legislation that would suit the conditions in which our members actually operate. And they vary from country to country. So it's a very exciting job. It's a very busy job. And, um, you know, so far so good. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm learning every single day and that includes a little bit of French more every day but nothing that uh, I would even embarrass myself uh, repeating on the radio now I was
1: going to say you're, you're probably getting there Damien what's the word we, we featured here in the programme last week Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal was on he gives a great rundown of what's happening in the Netherlands at the moment in relation to the political environment what's the word in Brussels at the moment about the Netherlands and they're essentially rebuking uh, some of this policy uh, the, the parties that are the, the people who are being elected who are coming on board now Want a kind of a policy shift away from this? They want to take back control uh, of their own destiny, if you will, from an agricultural perspective. Is is it getting much airtime over in Brussels, or do people think it's just you know a small country kind of in in Europe and it's not going to uh, amount to much?
0: No, it's something that we are definitely, obviously, everybody is is aware of, um, because it's a neighbouring uh, country. We're part of the Benelux: Belgium, Netherlands, and and Luxembourg, and. Look, it, it, you know, it's been going on for quite some time. It has been brewing for quite some time. It is a very dense country, and they have different issues. Uh, you know, their, their farmers would have different issues than, would say, farmers even in, in down the road in Belgium would actually have. But it is very interesting to see, you know, what has happened there in terms of the growth of of a political party uh, from as well as the, the farmer frustration there is talk today now of of the dutch government actually buying land off farmers so irish farmers in particular would be looking on from afar and saying hmm, you know i wonder you know is this the way we're going to go, end up going in ireland personally speaking from what i know is happening in the netherlands i think we're a long long way away from that uh, in 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 terms of you know I understand, of course, that farmers are are, are always frustrated about price and and other rules and regulations. And I'm sure there are mornings where a lot of your listeners just, you know, they get up and, you know, they they wish that they could actually uh, maybe, you know, change an awful lot of the policies um, and 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 try and find ways to actually make more money and make their life uh, easier and would be very supportive of what the Dutch farmers are doing but look you know we've done it in in Ireland in the past it was the famous farmers march to, to Dublin back in, in in 66 so it it, it it's, it's nothing new that farmers will be fed up and will be revolting somewhat but the fact that in the Netherlands it has um uh you know, manifested itself into the uh, growth of a political party and where you have, you know, the government uh, talking about buying, compulsory or buying of land and, and so on and so forth. It's, um, it's something that, yes, the Brussels will be very aware of it, um, but you kind of have to ask, you know, this just, just didn't happen overnight. It's been a, a story that's been developing for possibly a, a few years now.
1: Yeah, very good. Uh, Damien, look, chat to you all evening. I have to say I really enjoyed the last few minutes and many thanks for coming on, uh, giving us a little bit of background about ICOS and what you're at out there. As you said, celebrating 50 years out there with uh, the IFA and big changes, obviously, in agriculture, Irish agriculture. Just one figure before you go, uh, Damien. And that was, I said it at the top of the hour, back in 1972, 1973, 25% of people were employed in agriculture in Ireland and it's 4% today. That kind of just shows you itself, doesn't it?
0: It absolutely does, and remember though at that stage that a lot of those farms were were, were quite small, and um, you know the value of, of Irish uh, agricultural exports now you know is multiples obviously of what it would have been back then as well, um, and output would be you know the say obviously much greater as well. So it, it, you could, could you could actually say MJ that you know over five decades maybe a lot of the policy uh, coming from Brussels has you know. Brought about that process of kind of a situation where 25% were farmers. It's down now around four or five percent. And but you know the the output has actually increased. And obviously technology has changed an awful lot in that time as well. And I think you know as bad as it is for a lot of sectors in agriculture and a lot of smaller producers struggling to to make an income, especially after the massive increase in, 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 in input costs over the last couple of years. A lot of people say, well, farmers are, are dairy farmers are, are are doing well, but the input costs have increased by 50 and 60% in the last couple of years. So, um, you know, the, 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 that, that notwithstanding, uh, I think agriculture in Ireland has developed um, beyond recognition from where we were back in, in seventy three, And you, you would have to argue that joining uh, the EEC, now the European Union back then, and... Um, was probably uh, the main catalyst to that.
1: Mm, Yeah, yeah, no, in hindsight, it was was a wise decision, no question about it. Damien, I'm going to say many thanks for joining me this evening and uh, I really enjoyed the chat. Many thanks.
0: Many thanks. Look forward to talking to you anytime,
1: MJ. Uh, Damien O'Reilly there from ICOS and he is their uh, EU Affairs and Communications Manager and we're chatting to Damien there as a result of ICOS's 50-year anniversary of their opening of their office in Brussels and the IFA opened at the same time and uh, another figure actually I see here back in 1972 we uh, processed well we produced about 2.1 billion litres of milk uh, for just under 500 million gallons and 124 dairy co-ops handled that volume of milk. Not too shabby with that number. That's a big, big, big number. Uh, obviously, the value of those have, has increased massively since then, and uh, we now uh, produce billions and billions of food exports and uh, billions and billions of liters uh, of milk. But uh, yeah, we were, we were, we were going well back fifty years ago. There's no question about that. And uh, look, as Damien said, hard to argue whether you're pro-Europe or anti-Europe. Opening up to the EC did give a massive market which was on our doorstep. And at the time, we were just tied to the UK. That was our main export market and never going to be tied to the one area. Now, look uh, the way it's gone in relation to policy. Lots of farmers are arguing at this stage, our hands are tied and something like the Dutch revolt needs to occur in Ireland. And, you know, if that's your viewpoint, that's fair enough. But um, uh, policy in the last couple of years, two, three, four years, definitely has uh, shifted to a far more environmental stance. And it is making... Uh, conventional farming at a highly stocked rate more and more challenging And Now coming up after the break we are going to speak to Niall McCormack he's the fruit and veg chairman of the IFA and he's going to be talking about how there could be possible vegetable shortages on shelves in the coming weeks and also how Minister McConnel needs to get a food regulator on the go immediately uh, to help the horticultural sector so stay tuned for that
0: Country Life on Midlands 103 Brought to you by W Shaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands WORSHOW.ie
1: And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now moving on to horticulture. And I have the Fruit and Veg Chairman of the IFA on the line. That's Neil McCormick. Neil, many thanks for taking my call this morning or this afternoon. This evening, I should say. No I'll, I'll get there eventually, Neil. I'm going through, <laughs> the, whole, going through the whole clock as, as I speak to you. Uh, I have to apologise as okay. well, Neil. At the start of the programme, I called you Niall. Uh, you spell it, as you said, the, the Irish way. So it's Neil McCormack. Uh, Neil, you're a soft fruit producer. I haven't spoken to you on the programme beforehand. So we're going to speak about a couple of issues in a moment. But firstly, will you give us a little bit of background, Neil? Where exactly are you farming and what are you doing?
3: Yeah, we we farm south in South County, Longford, um, near the village of Coal Hill which isn't too far away from Ballymahan or Abbey Shrewl, um about six miles from Ballymahan. And we grow 60 tonnes of strawberries and three tonnes of raspberries. It's a family affair. Um, I'm helped out by Katie and also Leone when she's on holidays from college. And Gemma, my, da- my oldest daughter, um, is doing graphic design and she helps us on marketing that and that. We grow everything indoors, so we have about 50 tunnels. We're a Board B approved farm. And we sell a lot of strawberries here in the Midlands, and a lot goes to the west of Ireland as well. And here in the Midlands, we sell to Mullingar, to, to the Buckley Supervalue Value Group, um, under the Slane More label. Mm-hmm. That was um, farmed by Pat Levy, but we took that over. And then we sell a lot, as I said earlier, we sell a lot to the west of Ireland, um, to Galway and that. And those strawberries are so- sold under the McCormick label. So we're about 30 years growing fruit here um, in South County Longford. Um, so we're well established, and um,
0: yeah, we're we're, we're
3: we're we're we have a nice fresh product, and we're just just about to pick now, and we should be picking from now till October.
1: Explain to me the growing season for the strawberry, uh, Neil. When do you sow the, the the strawberry plant, and when do you harvest? How long does it take to grow a strawberry?
3: Yeah, well, um, we buy in the plants from Holland, and sixty to seventy days after we plant, we're picking strawberries. So um, we kind of stage the planting so that we're getting a continuous supply of strawberries. Um, And um, the season generally ends up in October. It all depends on light levels and temperatures and that. But generally, where I am, um, it's kind of petering out in October. We don't use heat or gas. It's all natural. And believe it or not, this week we will start picking strawberries, which the first week of May is a pretty good achievement. Um, And we do that a lot by... By forcing on strawberries, the crops, in our tunnels, we have them covered with a, a material called agri-fleece, and that's how we've achieved such earliness. You know, we would, a lot of strawberry growers are based around the southeast, and there are a few around Dublin, and they would have a natural advantage of a little bit warmer climate. So here in the Midlands, to get in, to have a crop, of strawberries started just into may is quite good going i feel
1: yeah absolutely and uh look your organization the ifa are pushing now for the food regulator to be appointed without any further delay this is something mr McConlock has promised uh for look for his entire tenure but uh it really kicked on towards the end of last year still not there uh but yourselves the ifa yourself as fruit and veg chairman you feel it's just really time to get this up and running now
3: yeah, the horticulture sector is waiting for the appointment of the food regulator. It is under the Agriculture and Food Supply Chain Bill. And the Minister has promised this bill under the Programme for Government. And it's up to the Minister now to get it get it in place. It still has to go through the final debate in the Dáil and then through the Shannon and then to be signed off by the President. Um, the food regulator is going to make sure that there is fairness and transparency in the food supply chain. And that will be for everybody. That's not just for horticulture. That's for beef, pig, meat, poultry, and milk. Every facet of agriculture in this country. But it is especially important and almost essential for the horticulture sector because we don't have an export market. So anything that is produced in Ireland has to be sold on the irish market horticulture produce by its nature is perishable it has to be picked the day it's ready and unfortunately or unfortunately there's only five or six main buyers of fruit and veg now in the country so it's very essential for the horticulture sector that this um is set up quickly
1: yeah, and just uh, moving on to uh, point four, let you go uh, Neil and uh, I think look your sentiments are echoed by everyone in agriculture there it is very important it gets up and running and that the office has real and substantial uh, powers uh, article in the Irish Farmers Journal last week Irish vegetable shortage likely come June uh, now uh, it could be inflated a little uh, but saying that broccoli, carrots, onions, cabbages potentially potatoes um, are due to be hit due to a range of factors weather being the main one uh, should we be worried Neil will we have uh, vegetable? on our shelves in a few weeks time are we weather dependent how's it looking from your perspective yeah
3: look at look at I don't want to to add any worry to anybody and you know look at we don't really know yet but plantings are later this year I know one broccoli grower he should have in five plantings at this stage all he has in is are three so look at things can change very quickly Weather can be, can be unseasoned, it'll be warmer. Crops can come that bit earlier. So it's just a very hard um, question to answer mm. definitively. Yeah,
1: 100%. You know. 100%. Look, we're all, we're all looking for a good growing May, uh, Neil, and the horticulture industry is yes. no different. Uh, I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to say many thanks for joining me. Look, we'll be speaking to you again on the programme. Thanks for coming on this evening, and uh, all the best no with problem. the strawberry harvest over the next few weeks.
3: Thank you very much. Take care.
1: Uh, Neil McCormick there from the IFA and uh, look uh, the, the food regulator that we're speaking about for months and months probably for years on the programme here it's just something that needs to be set up it's not just for horticulture it's for uh, the dairy sector for milk prices, we see the supermarkets are warring at the moment. If there was a food regulator there, uh, at least we'd have a bit more transparency on it. Uh, also in relation to beef, in relation to sheep meat, all the different, pig meat, all the different areas. It's a hugely, hugely important office and it uh, needs to be set up uh, ASAP. No question about that. Now, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about a tractor run which is taking place in Mount Wrath on the 13th of May. It's called Rev for Trev. And if you're a Fiat enthusiast, Uh, you want to stay listening and also there's a bigger message here and that's the whole area of mental health and uh, if you're not feeling great, or you're feeling uh, under the weather, because uh, that's, that's what mental health is—the same as a, a physical health issue. Uh, it's important to understand that there's help out there, and that's what we're going to be talking about in just a moment. So stay tuned for that.
0: Country life on Midlands 103, brought to you by W Show Burlington Business Park Telemore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. W
1: and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, we are moving on. Tractor Run taking place in County Leash on Sunday, May 14th. I said Saturday earlier on on the programme. So it's Sunday week, Sunday, May 14th. We're going to hear about it now. We have Arthur Harvey on the line. Arthur, many thanks for taking my call. No problem, Andrew. Lovely to talk to you. Uh, it's Rev for Trev. Uh Arthur, is the Tractor Run that's taking place. Uh, a little bit of background on the event, please, for our listeners.
4: Uh, no bothered, uh, MJ. This is the second year that we're running uh, this event, and it's basically a memory of our friend Trevor Wallace, who we lost to suicide on the 22nd of May 2021. Um, it's uh, a sort of a memorial and a tribute to him, and it's also to to spread awareness of mental health issues uh, within the farming community in particular, I suppose, because we work on our own so much. But, uh, you know, it, it deals with uh, <clears throat> the need to talk and the need to get out there and, and have a chat and, and bond and get ourselves going together so uh, mental health is one of the most important things in in the farming community be it young or old male or female and uh, that's what this event is for to spread the awareness that there is help out there be it the samaritans be it a house choccom um any of these organizations that there is help there and it's not a taboo subject to ask for a little bit of help we all need a bit of help from time to time that's the main aim behind it and to try and save one life if we could save one life in the whole event that's what we're aiming to do just to get the word out and get it going
1: And you were a very close friend of uh, Trevor Arthur. And this was, at the time, it was completely unexpected.
4: It was completely unexpected, uh, MJ. Trevor was, he was my boss, but he was 10 or 12 years younger than me. But he was never really a boss, boss, if you know what I mean. I knew the chap, um, going back, working with him all the way when he was in school. And I knew his dad with fence plowing championships for the farm relief. We were subcontracted in, Wallace Fenson was. And I knew Trevor. I knew Trevor for the guts of fifteen, twenty years. Uh, he was a true friend and a fierce, generous fella. And anyone that ever knew him or met him, you know, you just couldn't follow with the chap. He was he was an absolute star. So he you was. Know,
1: and dealing with the shock of that, Arthur, for uh, someone that maybe didn't have a history of mental health, um, hugely challenging for friends and for family.
4: Well, I tell you, MJ. You know, suicide is a, is a terrible thing, and anyone that says that, you know suicide is a terrible thing. You sort of hear it and pass it and you pass it off, but it's not until that weight falls on your shoulder and you feel the full gravity of what's happened. Uh, you know, the person is gone and you know, you hope they're happy, but it's, it's from then on that the community has to deal with it. And the family and the friends are left behind. And this is what we're trying to get across. You know, the shock so unexpected, um, no reason for it, not, nothing seen. We were talking to him the day before I was talking to him that morning on Snapchat, Um uh, and, you know, answered all of those things and and then just whack, he's gone, uh, instant gone, uh, true suicide, and we lost him fairly violently. But, you know, these are the things that we have to try and deal with, and, and it's the people that's left behind in the communities. Mount Trath is a small rural community, and there's not many fields, of fencing contractors and agri-contractors that we wouldn't have been in at some stage around the area. So he was fierce well-known. So, you know, it affected his own community, but it affected the 14 or 15 lads that would be working with Trevor. Uh, all through his, his working days. And, you know, the, the community in general where you would be working, it, it's a savage shock. It, it just rocks you to the core. And it lasts. This is the thing. It lasts.
1: And Trevor was uh, a machinery enthusiast, Arthur. You? you were telling me about him earlier on and he had a particular passion for Fiat tractors. And just before he passed away, oh, he, yes. he he purchased a Fiat tractor. And uh, you have a, a, a little anecdote about it. Could you tell us, please? He,
4: he, he bought back, um, his dad had a Fiat 110 when he started out Wallace Fenson with a McConnell order on the front of it. And that tractor was traded into Tom Shaw to buy a Sammy 150.7 back in 05. But Trevor always had a passion for Fiat tractors. uh, And he had, in the meantime, he had gotten a few pounds together himself and bought a Fiat 140. But he was always scouring the internet looking for, you know, Fiat stuff and pumps and bits and bobs. But he came across his old Fiat 110 down, I think it was a farm, somewhere down in in Tipperary, if I'm not greatly mistaken, and he loaded up one night in the Jeep and disappeared and he came back uh, when, with the tractor bought and he brought her back. And, and to say that she needed a little bit of TLC would be an understatement. And um, he brought me into the, the, the shed one night to have a look at her. And he says, hey, what do you think? And he was all excited and he says, what do you think of her? And I'm there, I'm trying to bite my tongue and, you know, I'm looking at this rust and I'm looking at everything worn out. And he says, you know, I can get the cab taken off, I can get it all done up, I can get it galvanized. And, you know, before he passed away, she was still sitting in the shed in the same state. After we lost Trevor, um, we were all so heartbroken. We, we didn't want to leave Wallace's yard. We were all there, all 13, 14 lads hanging around the yard. And we'd done all the washing and the cleaning up and the tidying up. And we were sort of looking for a project. And Lee, one of his great friends down from Galway, he, Trevor was the best man from, And he was down in the yard and he says, lads, we'll get this bloody theater up and running. So we all tore into it. And there was two and three and four lads hanging out at different spots of it with angle grinders and welders and cutting patches and putting steel back into the cab and knocking out rust and getting the doors done. And then we painted it and we polished it and we put his duck back into the cab that he always used to carry with him in it. And we got the tractor going the night before his funeral. We had her out in the yard spotlessly clean. And I think it was Killian was sitting in the driver's seat. He tried her two or three times to start and he think the tractor would start. No, she wouldn't. So... With vexation, I turned around and I walked into the shed and I pulled out his hammer out of his toolbox and I went over and I threatened the tractor. I said to him, Trevor, you better cop on now. I said, this thing is taking you to the church tomorrow, so you better start. And I gave the the, the front weight block a good belt. Killian turned the key in and, and the tractor started. And she's, she's behaved herself ever since. She has given us a few issues now and again with the gearbox and a few bits and pieces. But we've always got her... Back in line and uh, she'll be leaving out the tractor run on, on uh, the fourteenth,
1: hopefully. And on that, I'm Arthur, uh, no no better way to leave the chat, I have to say a great story and uh, and hopefully Trevor was the the person responsible for that. Your tractor run is Sunday the fourteenth of May. Uh, I urge everyone in the area and the greater area to, to give a hand and, and tip over, especially if yeah, you have a fiat yeah, tractor. Yeah. And it's on at two PM in Mount Rat Mart. I'm gonna have to leave it there, Arthur, and I'm gonna say many thanks for joining me this evening. Uh, that's Rev 4 trev There's a Facebook page there as well. As I said, Mount Rat Mart, and it is 12 p.m., I should say, leaving at 2 p.m. sharp. So get there for 12, leaving at 2 p.m. sharp, May 14, 2023. And what a story that was to finish off our programme this evening. Uh, that's it for this evening, guys. Uh, many thanks for uh, listening in. Thanks to Arthur there, Neil McCormack, uh, Damien O'Reilly from ICOS and Sam Moody. Uh, at the start of the program, the program is repeated on Sunday morning at 7 a.m. until 8 a.m. I'll be back with you next week, as always. And we are available wherever you get your podcast. Type in MJ Space Cleary C L E R Y, and we'll pop up. Joe Cooney's up next with Country Roads. Good night and God bless. Mm-hmm.